Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 14 of the Print Design Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thanks so much for being here, for spending some time here, and for just being excited about print and design and, God, all of that kind of stuff. So today, my guest is Jay Farrakane from Angry Bovine Studio. Yep. Yep. I know. Yep. I know. Give it up. Yep. Jay, I, I know. I'm just as excited as you are. I know. Um, during this episode, Jay and I talk about so many cool print projects that he's been a part of or come across or that he remembers as kids. I don't even want to tease it too much just because... I want you to just hear it fresh. I don't want you to hear, oh yeah, Dave told us about that. No, I want you to hear it fresh from Jay. Um, But let's just say that there's a little bit of lenticular printing in there. There's a little bit of beer stuff thrown in there. There's the old grade seven magazine. You remember those. Maybe you created one. Talk a little bit about that. But I will say that the project that we do a deep dive on is for Duke University. And I'm not going to give you too many specifics, but... He really focuses on the research and problem solving for this print piece. Yes, there's, you know, some paper choices and colors, and, but there's a system. And this is a really, really great example of how you can, the research and the work that has to be done up front when planning print projects just to, to really come up with the proper print solution the right sizes, like to everything. And I love this because Jay does a really deep dive into what's involved with that research and that homework and really figuring out what's going to solve the problem that they had in print. So ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to let Jay take it away. This is a great episode. He is a very entertaining guy and I'm excited for you to hear this. So let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest, Jay Farrakin. Here we go. Welcome to the Print Design Podcast, the show where we talk about all things print and packaging. We go behind the scenes with designers and talk about the print projects they designed that really rocked their world. From file prep to holding the finished product in their hand and all the key decisions in between. So let's talk ink on paper. Hey, Jay, welcome to the Print Design Podcast. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. No, it was great to connect with you again. I really enjoyed our chat over on the Quickie Podcast, and I wanted to have you on again because I know you've got a, a history and a background in print, and you've done some pretty cool things, and I thought you had some knowledge bombs to share in that category. Well, you're, I think you're being very nice. Knowledge bombs, that, that terrifies me, but um, <laughs> I do have a history of messing things up. And I'm really not afraid to sh- let people learn from my mistakes. So, so what I should uh, if really anything, say- I like to show people. <laughs> yeah. So what I should say then is that because you've screwed up so many times, you have some knowledge to share. Yes. There we go. Yeah. And, and I will be an example of like what not to do maybe. But uh, I am happy to take people on that journey. 
Awesome. Well, for those of us who have not listened to uh, your episode over on the quickie, I mean, first off, you should, so go listen to it. Um, but second is, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Just give us a brief intro on who you are and what you got cooking. Sure, sure. Uh, I'm Jay Farrakane. I run a small studio um, just outside Boulder, Colorado called Angry Bovine. Um, I consider my, well, I'm a formally trained graphic designer. Uh, I kind of consider myself a generalist. I, I think I'm fairly capable at um, just about everything. Our studio handles packaging, web, brand stuff. Um, you name it, uh, we probably have, have either tried it and, um, and done it. Um, I am a design educator. I teach at a grad school program here in um, Colorado as well. Um, and uh, like I said earlier, I am not afraid to mess things up. I love it. Like really, you either succeed or you learn. I don't think there's really is any mess things up. <laughs> no, and, and I, you know, it's funny that, that that's um, an interesting topic and maybe, um, you know, a good place to start. I think that is one of the things that I see in design education. And um, I've even talked to people in peripheral spaces, like guys who are uh, ski trainers, like, you know, teach kids to do backflips and stuff. And I have a background in skateboarding and I think about how I learned. And I never look at, looked at any of that falling down on, on the way to making it, air quotes, um, as failures. And even though now, every once in a while, I'll have a student or somebody come to me and go, I just don't know how to do that. And I'm, I'm, I'm terrible at this and I'm a failure. And I'm like, well, I think you just need to keep trying. So uh, to that example, I think that that's, you know, definitely something that in my background, yeah, messed up a lot, but um, always has had this kind of like, uh, ability to recover and whether that was um, me going kind of probably beyond the for my real responsibilities I just you know think that uh, I, I care enough usually about the projects I'm working on to to try and make things right and um, you know so far so good <laughs> yeah keep going just keep powering through you'll figure it out eventually and uh, just learn from it that's really the, the takeaway on that yep. one so Jay, I want to ask you then, what, um, what do you think is your earliest memory of printer packaging? Something from your childhood, maybe your teens, what sticks out to you for that? Yeah, I, I, you know, um, it's, a fun, it's, a, it's a really funny thing because it was like this little goofy trinket. And um, my father, who was a U.S. Marine, uh, he was a bombardier navigator um, in uh, aircraft called A6s. And that plane was made by a company called Grumman. And so the Grumman reps would show up and, you know, they, they give pilots and navigators and stuff, all sorts of little tchotchkes. And my dad would bring these things home all the time, patches and all these things. And um, the, the interesting characteristic about this plane that he flew, it was one of the first all-weather um, attack bombers, like legitimately could fly. You could paint the windows black, apparently, and you could still fly wow. um, and make it to targets and that kind of thing. And so, uh, and it was so cool because I listened to uh, Armin Witt's talk uh, recently, and he talked a lot about um, uh, lenticular printing mm-hmm. um, on your on your show. And the interesting thing to me is this little thing that my dad brought home fascinated me. So it was, um, I would say it was a four-inch circular object, and I really wish I had one. And when I saw your question um, in the lead-up to this, I actually thought about going on eBay and seeing if I could kind of find one. But um, it was this little, like, I don't know, four- to six-inch round lenticular so you know i used to call them a winky as a kid you know because you could kind of turn them yeah and they, and they would change but what it would do is it would show the plane um an a6 you know head-on view pretty menacing looking plane full sunshiny day but then when you went to the lenticular it faded into like rain and night sky 
Oh, and cool. um, it was really bitching. And I think I kept that thing. I was probably given that at like six or seven years old. And I probably kept that until I was almost, well, until I left my parents' house, probably. I bet you I had at least in a drawer or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I don't know if I ever looked at that thing and was like, oh, I want to make this. It was just so fascinating to me that not electronic, totally experiential. Um, and, and to me, I think now as I reflect back on that as a designer, like that's communicating a real capability of that thing through, uh, uh, when I say that thing, a real capability of that aircraft in, you know, by leveraging a print medium. And, and to me, that's, that's always the sweet spot in whenever you're designing for print is, is like, how are we going to take this kind of st- static thing and make it interesting? And whether that's scale of imagery on pages or, you know, pagination or form factor, all those things, like you really have to consider um, and, and to make it powerful. But I'd say that's definitely the first thing I remember. That's awesome. Kay. I'm going to be doing some serious Google searching after this and eBay searching, trying to find <laughs> an image of this thing. Cause it sounds so awesome. And exactly like you said, you know, it, it's something that took something, a quality of something and portrayed it in print. It created a different experience around it. Well, and, and and to me, I think that's the real interesting opportunity has the design has in 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 any project, right? Is is like where can you really build that that DNA or lever? You know, like in print, a lot of times you're leveraging things that exist. So it's knowing the elements that are out there. Like you know, is there specialty finishes? Is it a certain kind of paper? How, how can you communicate these things? But for someone to take advantage of something like that and and really drive home this extra, you know, this, really a brand point, if you will, yeah. um, through uh, the medium that it's being portrayed on. Like, I just think that that, you know, if, if there was a, a rating scale for it, if there's a Rotten Tomatoes for design, it gets you in the high 90s instantly, you know. Um, so Definitely. I love that analogy if there's a Rotten Tomatoes for design. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what about recently, Jay? Have you had any recent interactions with print or packaging that you really enjoyed or was a, was a really good experience for you? Yeah. yeah um, shoot. I, you know, it's funny. Like, I, I think I got a pair of, and I can't even tell you what the name of it was. I got a pair of headphones recently that I remembered like thinking, um, and it, it was kind of like one of those Instagram buys that I'm like, ah, it's a cool form factor. Yep. I, I think I, I need a new pair of he- headphones. And so they're probably made in the same factory like Beats is. But I remember opening the box. And I think that there's – that's what the other cool thing to think about in print. But I remember opening the box, and, and the outside was really plain. But then once you got inside, there was this, like, really, like, solid color hit. And it was it was just super cool. And you could tell it wasn't overdone, too. And I think that's one of the tendencies um, that I see – well, there's a danger, right, in, in sometimes in some print projects where you see people – kind of like pile everything onto the um the the to the substrate because they're like i can i know we had budget for gloss and i know we could do an emboss and all this kind of stuff and what i kind of liked about it is it was simple but it was considered and then it was like but it was also an affordable price point and i was like okay i'll probably never see this box again um but i think that that even um alludes to like a little bit of my own personal sensibilities in in terms of um design and then a particular in print stuff that I do. 
Um, I think in my career, I've been very fortunate to have people that, uh, you know, we talk about the project and we know all the capabilities and we have some sense of like, how much can you spend on this? And in fact, a lot of today, um, projects that I get involved with today, um, which in the old days, I would have considered more print packaging. Mm -hmm. um, now are just little flat, flat print projects. So like, um, I, I would say the another recent interaction with print that I kind of was like, oh, that was cool. Um, was some work that I was doing, not to be egotistical about it, but um, <laughs> it was it was some work for uh, a beer label. And so uh, the the client came to me, and we've been doing work, some work with this this brewery. Um, and the interesting thing was is that uh, the first thing they sent me that we had talked a little bit about the premise of of this beer um, that they were working on. They basically this brewery is really known for they brew a bunch of stout, and then the the brewmaster takes the stout and brunches separate barrels and then it flavors them all super differently. And it's called Eclipse because like the sky blacked out. Um, and so for years they had done packaging that just didn't really mimic the quality of what the beer was inside and mm -hmm. they've won a bunch of awards and that kind of stuff. So we started talking and uh, one of the things that the client said is he, 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 he described it as uh, like he really wanted it to be like a black metal seance. <laughs> so um, <laughs> the, the thing that was really cool was I started instantly thinking about celestial um, literal eclipses and that kind of stuff. And then uh, internally, they have a print production manager. He sent me a bunch of the samples of that. It, literally, it's a sticker. They just, they just stick them on glass bottles in mm -hmm. their um, thing. So, you know, I'm designing a flat object. Um, but what was really cool was the ways that, that the substrate can trick the eye in, into that you're doing some more sophisticated print stuff. And so to me, one of the, the kind of cool things that now I'm starting to see in print is people are starting to come back at this effect kind of world. But I think a lot of the effects are kind of being done in kind of trickery kinds of ways, because like in, in the case of this beer, uh, this beer bottle, uh, it was a matte like aluminum finish. So when you print, if you don't print ink there, you get reflection. Yes. And, um, and so it's still set up for color. It's still, and then that was the other cool thing is, is that um, not only did we design one label, um, the one label had to be able to, uh, I think with some copy changes and a color edit, um, would be ready for the next flavor. Um, and in somewhat tied to the, uh, um, the flavor, like, like if it was a, I don't know, a German chocolate cake, which has cherries and stuff in it, but mm -hmm. the label's going to have a red tint to it. Um, and and the, the brewmaster actually dips each bottle in wax because on the assembly line, they actually don't know which is in which until they start labeling them. And they needed a way to <laughs> kind of like uh, figure that out. So we picked that queue up, you know, pre. So we got given a lot of stuff up front. But I, I think, you know, I know you were like, hey, what, what do you want to, what are you seeing out there that's really cool? But I think actually what I'm seeing out there that I think is really cool is some of the existing tech that is allowing us to do some more sophisticated looking things yet mm -hmm. it's fairly simple to do you know what that's um, a great so that's been kind of a cool a great example because the, the we do a lot or i've seen a lot of of shrink sleeves you know cans and short runs for breweries craft breweries on shrink sleeves going onto cans and similar to what you were saying they're you know looking at the bottle how could we exercise this bottle or this label material to create effects that we're not actually doing so in this example foil you know you can foil yep. stamp something 
But with shrink sleeves, because they're clear, because you're printing on them, and the can that they're going around is this metallic silver, if you don't print in certain areas on the shrink sleeve and you knock it out, it, you get the metallic of the can coming through. And to take that a step further, if you use a gradient or a screen of a yellow ink in an area, the metallic of the can turns that into a gold foil look. And again, you're not foiling anything. Yep. You're just exercising yeah. the abilities and, and you know, you're almost tricking the eye of, of what's been done to this to create something really unique. Well, and, and I think that that, you know, um, I was listening to your Dan Jansen uh, from Lincoln Design uh, podcast, and and I think he hinted, I think he mentioned it, was, uh, you know, just knowing what you can do kind of thing. And if you don't know what you can do, I think my career has been very, I've been very fortunate to work with people that show me the things. Um, so, like, th th this notion of, like, letting the, the luminosity of the can come through does get that kind of foily effect. Mm -hmm. I worked on a, a another project, a brochure project recently, where this client had this, um, they had done some work with a local letterpress guy. And um, it, the, the letterpress guy had found this beautiful um, uh, engraving of uh, David and Goliath. And, and it's kind of brutal, actually. It's like David's holding this head and and all this stuff and um <laughs> their business cards are super and and the reason that i think it's it's cool and again talking about like it really meaning something this david and goliath method or um metaphor is this is two guys doing commercial real estate up against like titans in our in our oh, local area. love it and so when i did this bro yeah it's really cool and and when i did the i wanted to do a brochure for them uh, um that was built off of like some of the stuff I was seeing in their business cards. So we knew fonts, we knew colors, we knew we had some pretty, pretty cool art. And these two guys are kind of, uh, I'll call them Mavericks or Renegades um, and really fun to work with. And uh, one of the things that they wanted to do is they wanted to do these brochures um, that would outshine these, uh, their competitors, like these corporate guys. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we ended up kind of using like European fashion magazines sized brochure so god i have one on my desk i think it's probably like 14 by 24 or something like that folded closed mm -hmm. and so you know i had this david and goliath thing and and they, they kind of like like giving people the business a little bit so and we're coming back to this like faking an effect kind of thing um and specking paper and that kind of thing and and so one of the things i did is i asked my printer i'm like hey how much would it be to do this print in varnish and he was like, "Ugh, I don't know if I can hold it together and blah, blah, blah. And it's going to be this much. <laughs> so he goes, but he goes, we could do it this way. And um, I think we ended up doing a digital run on um, a much, I wouldn't call it a glossy stock, but a much shinier stock. Okay. And the fact that the ink the, that got ran on it was somewhat dull, it gave us the illusion of varnish yes. in reverse. So it was a trip when I set the file up because... In the old days, I would have said, I want this part of the image to be, you know, the raised part of the image so mm -hmm. that that's where all the varnish stays. And when I did it, I actually had to go make the inverse of it because I was telling ink not to go there. So the shine of the paper would yep. come through. Um, and so anyway, it was a really kind of cool thing. And, and the one thing I would profess to anybody like getting started in, 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 in this world and doing print is 
talk to the people on the mechanical side of things, the ones that know like supplies and things like that. Because a lot of times we as designers, I think have, you know, that's our job is to have ideas. But print is like, it's a trade. And like, there's like legitimate um, physicality to it. And so sometimes just asking, that's the other thing I see in a lot of design is a lot of people don't ask other people's uh, input in stuff and, mm. and uh, outside of like aesthetics. Right. Yep. Um, and so I, and I think you come down to a, a mechanical process like this, man, I'm not the guy to be deciding on some of these things. I'm like, Hey, here's what I'm trying to achieve. What are ways that we can do that? And I, and my own career, I've been really fortunate to work with a couple outfits that have been like, they're, they're genuinely excited when you ask them about that too. And I think that's the cool thing about print is, is like, you know, I design it one way but it always comes out better these beer cans in this label project that i just did i'm like man if i had spec that it would have been on flat paper and kind of boring and probably come off in your hand and then the guy's <laughs> like but what if we use this super high-tech shiny metal you know and then i'm like oh that's so much better here's my design um so yeah take it and run with it i love that so in this in this tangible world of design when we're creating print it seems that that print is really special to designers, whether you're designing it or not. You want to hoard the things that you look at, that you smell, that you feel that are really unique and interesting. What do you think makes print so you know, sought after by designers? Why do you, what do you think they like most about it? God, I, well, off the bat, I've got a couple of things that stick out. Number one, I think that, um, there's a little bit of a specialness in it. it. And the tangibility is always there. It's just very cool to pick things up and leaf through them and narrative. Cause that's one of the, my favorite things in designing. I design a lot of, I'll say content heavy kinds of print stuff, like, you know, 30, 30 some odd pages, 40 some odd pages, catalogs, that kind of stuff. Uh -huh. And I think if you can keep someone's interest through pacing through all of that, that's one of the really cool things, the tangibility, the holding at that experience there's also something kind of interesting that I was just thinking about today about like, why is print so cool? Um, another thing that I think is really cool is that it's special. Like there's only so many of them and you almost get a privilege to kind of hold that in your hand. It's not unlike, um, you know, getting, getting that, that, that one of 500 black Sabbath, uh, into the void singles, you know, or something like that printed, you know, that had a mistake on it. And, you're, everyone's like, well, dude, that's not ever going to happen again. There's, we don't have a lot of experiences like that in life. Um, but I think the thing for me that gets me excited about print, and, and again, this is probably an ego thing, um, but I'm aware of it, and I think that's the first step in any problem, is uh, that you, um, this Warholian effect, when things start coming off of, off of a press or you see it in a box afterwards, and you can line them up on a table. And, and, and just that idea of, holy mackerel, this is important. Like people, there's multiples of these. These are going to be in people's hands. Like it's reproduced. Like there's something very powerful for me in that. Um, and the fact of um, just seeing runs come together that, that, and that you don't really get on the web. You know, like to see your website designed multiple times. Yeah, you can open up a couple monitors or something. But it's definitely not like having a stack of, catalogs or something that you've designed or seeing even going to like uh, uh you know there's a lot less print control in this but going to like i've had this experience where i've been on trips and i'll re i'll remember like oh i think that ad is in that magazine now and then you know you'll go in there and it's 
it's in some strange physical destination that you didn't <laughs> put it there and it's there. Like to me, that's there's just some very cool, there, there's many cool things about print, but I would say number one, that, 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 that uh, there's tangibility. Um, it's also a premium thing. I think today a signal for anybody, if you're printing something that means something, yep. um, it gives it legitimacy too. So definitely. I couldn't agree more that great answers for that one. Um, so Jay, I'm going to kick this back in, into history here. And uh, take okay. you back to the beginning of your career. And I want to know what the first print project that you were a part of, the first one that you produced and designed, what was that? Tell me about that. Uh, well, I, have, I, I was kind of thinking about this, this question because I have two. Uh, I, is, is this personal or is this uh, professional? Mm. Give me both. I can't, I can't divide that. So as a skateboard kid listening to punk rock and stuff like that and you know just enamored with like flyers and and things like that i in seventh grade started making a zine so i my first publication literally was this really terrible eight page like little zine that i think i gave to like 15 people but uh i remember like i would it it was kind of analog well it's a zine so it's supposed to be analog but uh i remember i would like paste up everything in my own weird way that nobody ever taught me how to do paste up, but I would like type out an article about a, like a skate spot and I'd take a crappy photograph and then I'd tape it or glue it on the sheet of eight and a half by 11. And then I, I had access to this copier at school. I went to this, like uh, this kind of art school in seventh grade and they just let you run amok and do what you wanted to. And I remember I went in there and I started Xeroxing it and then you could play around with like the contrast settings and you could really blow it out. And, and the thing that blew my mind was, is like, you know, I would look at it in reality and I really wish I had some of them because it was, you know, it was a mess of like tape and paper and all sorts of stuff. But once you Xeroxed it, it kind of all came together. And I'd say it's my first experience in one color because a lot of times I would go and like grab the stack of blue paper that nobody wanted or canary, you know, yeah, that yellow paper that yeah, nobody yeah. wants to put thing on. Um, and it's funny because that premise, it, I remember someone a long time ago in design telling me, um, really what we're trying to do here in design school is, is to uh, help you remember all the things you were born with. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And so this early recollection of like building a zine, I remember I worked on this uh, bike brand in um, California and uh, they had a pop-up store and they had like literally like $500 to do this store redesign. Okay. And they used to publish this old, this old, uh, they used to publish this old, uh, catalog that was really known in the cycling world in the uh, early eighties. Okay. And so I was like, give me, give me that catalog. I tore out all the pages, Xerox them onto different colors of paper, blue. I think we picked blue, pink, and yellow canary. Um, and that became the wallpaper. Yeah, I'm like, go put that up. So that was that. And, but I learned that doing zines. Um, so that was my first personal print project which went way better than my first professional okay we're just on that seventh grade one for a sec here you yeah. did that in seventh grade and then you took the concept of your good old zine and used it to create something this pop-up like later on in your career like that's so fun how you took that, oh, yeah, that concept yeah, I did that. yeah I did. so yep and um I, you know whether it's a old dog but you know like to me, I look at that kind of thing, you know, even though it's a Xerox printer, you're still talking about a one color kind of print job, yeah. right? And I'm like, do the look I wanted to get. You know, if, if we had big budget, the dumb thing would have probably been, I would have probably like spec the color 
background and then we would have printed on white paper and made it look like a full sheet of colored paper um so anyway yeah some of my diy roots come back to uh help me out on current things these days <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> and that first professional project tell me about that one um so first prof professional print project went way less successfully than the first personal project um, I was working at a studio in Mountain View, California. Um, these guys were kind of, well, it, it, kind of inventing the internet. And the, the funniest thing I remember is, is I went there, I got a job. I had a print, a really like for a fresh out of design school kid. Um, I didn't learn the best in academia, which is weird because I'm a teacher now. But while I was in design school, I went and got a design job. Um, and I worked on annual reports, which okay. I think, again, plays into where I'm at today and the careers that I do, because, you know, annual reports are long a lot of times. There's a little bit of narrative, but there's a lot of facts in them and um, that kind of stuff. And Yeah, um, with annual reports, you almost have to come up with a creative way, an entertaining, a visually entertaining way to portray really boring information. Exactly. Yeah. And. So I, I actually have worked on a couple where I stepped back from them and I went, dude, this is the most engaging apology ever <laughs> because <laughs> um, the uh, sometimes they weren't uh, um, they weren't uh, super profitable companies, even though they were, you know, public and that kind of thing. And um, so those were always uh, interesting um, elements. But I went to work at this shop that was primarily digital and those guys knew um, that I did prints cause that's the portfolio I showed up with. And so they're like, Hey, cool. You're going to put our business cards into production. And there was two founders and uh, two designers, me and another guy. So I lay these cards out and I think we're, I don't even know if me and the other designer got cards. I think just the cards for the founders um, were going to be done. Okay. And I said, I did something wrong in like the separation or something like that. And it came back just completely not what we wanted. And I actually never even let them see it. I just, <laughs> I literally like slid money across the table to the guy paid for the print run, went back. I go, I have to go make some changes to the file. We're going to reorder these. And then that's how I taught myself to like, like we talked earlier about like, <laughs> Hey, I get myself into a lot of problems. Yeah. I have to figure out how to fix them. And when you are financially, slapped on the wrist for something, you remember that one. And so it changes the way that you kind of head into it. But that was my first one. It was uh, a business card. And man, it, if, I, if I recall this business card, obviously two-sided, I think the back was just a one-color hit and the front was this little teeny hit and then black. So two on the front, one on the back. And uh, I remember like it was just a lapse of judgment. And, and also I didn't know. I didn't know things. There weren't resources to go to Mm -hmm. And unless you ask the printer, and I think at that point in my career, I was probably like, oh, you know, I can do anything. And I, I was going to see if I still have this. Oh, I do have it still. After that, I bought this book called Forms, Folds, and Sizes. Okay. And um, that book was like one of the, at least I had a reference now for when I was tackling things to have some sort of uh, guidance. Because I think I must have been, you know, shy and, and i think there's something about when you're a younger designer too is you don't want people to know you don't know what you're doing yet <laughs> and so uh rather than being forthcoming about that which is what i do every day now because uh, i still don't know how much i know 
Um, but in that instance, it was me really just like, oh my God, I'm, that was such a dummy move. Um, I need to fix this. And, uh, I don't know, maybe Darren and Kevin will hear this podcast and they'll know now, but um, <laughs> to this day, they didn't know I screwed the cards up, but I sure did. I can like picture this boardroom situation where somebody walks in and goes, Hey, did you get those cards? And you don't respond. You just <laughs> hand over this envelope of cash and say, I need to make some changes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's funny you say that. That's one of my favorite, like, like uh, I don't know, television moments is, is akin to that situation. It's uh, The Simpsons, and Marge comes in and confronts Homer about something, and, and she says, and his response to her is, Marge, I don't want to lie to you, and he turns around and walks out of the room. <laughs> I, love that. I don't want to lie to you so he leaves <laughs> yeah. yeah just because his only alternative was to lie so um but yes that would have been um very interesting hey guys uh, the cards are in and it's this envelope full of money we're gonna need to go but no uh no i handled that one and i don't know if that's become a trait but i do think there is something um in design too i've i've had to really get used to the fact that i'm not a pixel perfect designer mm-hmm. um and so i almost try and i think in a lot of the ways that i approach print is i very often plan for variance or inconsistency mm-hmm. um and meaning like okay cool how's the bleed gonna be set up in this like should i really like that you know trying to do this perfect border around this thing when it's these scary. all get cut down to size yeah it's scary and so i think even thinking about things in that way um, you know, I've been approached too, where, where somebody's like, Hey, we're going to print these on our, our copiers in our office. Right. And then you're like, okay, cool. I can't do full bleed because I, I have to build it into the design that there's a gripper, you know, around the edge mm-hmm. so that that thing looks like it was well intended for it. And so, uh, but that physicality of print, I think even goes into just, just the era I came out of design school. And one of the first questions I ask of, most of my design students, let's say we get on an identity project or something like that is, and I'll den- generally do this with students that come a lot out of the, like a pure digital world, which I'm encountering more and more, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's where we communicate today. But for me, too, I, I often think of a, as a, a logo, you know, the core beacon of most brands, that thing has to be vector, right? Like, because when you do your bus bench ad or you do your business card or you get the corner thing at nasdaq in times square i want to be able to scale your logo and not have any loss of quality and i can't tell you how many like like software brands i've worked with that you know i get their logo package to start helping them do a print project like a you know some sort of collateral data sheet is a very common thing like a Mm two-pager kind of thing um it's a bitmap logo and i'm like do you guys have a vector version of this and they're like no that's what the designer gave us and i'm like oh crap and then i'll usually redraw it <laughs> so, yeah, it's easier so that to i that. know that it holds together yeah so you know when i think about your business card um story that you were were sharing that where it went wrong and it was you know as simple as you know one or two colors on each side um immediately one of the most common things that i hear and and you also had said that you're increasingly dealing with students who have only been trained in the digital realm First, yep. is, isn't that, I find that just so disappointing that like the, 
they want to stay in that realm when there's so much excitement creating the tangible objects, the printed things, the the things that sit on people's coffee tables for years. You know, you're 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 more engaged with consumers' lives when you're creating really beautiful packaging, and and not only that, when you're a freelance designer, for example, and you're taking on a branding project. And they say, oh, um, you know, could you design us a, a letterhead and a brochure here as well? You want to be able to take those and like to execute flawlessly on them. So then one of the other um, things that I thought of, sir, with your business card story was I'll have customers reach out to me um, who or designers who want to do print. And, mm-hmm. and they'll want to do something that's so when I'm like, okay, how many colors are involved in this piece? Oh, just two, <laughs> just, just black and white. And I go, sorry, that's one color. <laughs> and the, and the co- what, what do you mean? No, it's black and white. There's two colors. No, 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 no. Black is the one color. The paper is white. So you just use that. And it's like, oh my gosh, yeah. The, like the, it's a totally different thinking than, than something online when you're dealing with transparencies and, and, and different things like that, right? Yo, completely. Well, and I was so pleased to hear you use the word knockout earlier. Mm-hmm. Because when I when I build logo libraries for brands that I'm creating, I when I build out all the variants of the logos, very often I will spec like if like let's say that it's a uh, it's a logo type and a, and a and a and a mark right mm-hmm. like together. I'll do one like where the type might be in white, and the mark is still, so I'll usually call that like logo you know company name uh, horizontal. Uh, full, like meaning full color, KO. Mm-hmm. And then people will call me and go, hey, where's the white one? Um, we need those <laughs> that type white. And then I'm like, oh, shoot. So now I actually have to kind of course correct for that. Um, and and because I think terminology is even something that's lost, you know, because it's a new world. Yep. The fascinating thing that I've seen too, and, um, I, and we should start a support group because I'm pleasantly surprised to hear, I, I try and be like even though it grates on me i'm like I, I have to be i have to be a modern thinker and uh but it's funny to hear you say like it's kind of disappointing because to me there is so much more out there in design and it's like it's like music right like if you only listen to one genre of music you're just missing out on so mm-hmm. much and i think design i actually think you make your design life easier when you understand multiple mediums because it's more to, tools to solve with yes um and, and i i've witnessed a a very strange, uh, an interesting phenomenon, but like to me as a designer who's aging and I've been around for a while, I keep trying to reshape my brain into, oh, that's how it works because of X, Y, and Z. Designers always just want to know why. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing is, is I've seen a lot of like air quotes, digital only brands. They start in RGB and then they're always disappointed because the, the intensity of color on screen is always less once you turn it to CMYK. 100%. Um, and that's that's a fascinating byproduct. So I'm like, yeah, it wows you on screen, but when you go to print that, um, it's going to look like this. Um, and then you got to kind of do the whole screen to holding a you know a chip in your hand and hoping that they equate. Um, the second phenomenon I've seen is fonts. Is uh, and it makes all the sense in the world. But like when I'm building a brand, I often go, oh, I know the characteristic of this font. It maps to some of their brand ideals. It's bold. It's forward. Um, you know, even knowing the history of fonts. Oh, this font was designed to be really, you know, these guys are going to have a lot of dense information. Let's give them a, a font that works really well at small mm-hmm. sizes. I'm coming at it from that point. I meet designers today. They're like, well, why would you build a brand, a digital brand around a font that's not web available? And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, 
that is a new requirement. So it's kind of interesting to think about it. But um, and then even, you know, like watching people set up files and how do you manage things like fonts and colors and working between, oh, is that a four color project or does it have spot in it? And and that whole thing gets it. It, it almost always turns into like some sort of education seminar for mm -hmm. me because I'm like, oh, all right, we're going to have to talk about this. And then, you know, even stepping back a little bit further, when you explain layers and applications and things to people, we're like, well, that's because of like paste ups, like, you know, Ruby lift, like you had layers like that. There, there wasn't a guy, the Photoshop engineer wasn't like, how are we going to keep all these things separate? He was like, well, this is how we do it in physicality. We're just going to make that digital. Um, and I think even once you explain that to people, they're like, what, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a funny world. So. Totally. Um, so Jay, now I want to do a deep dive. I want to, sure. uh, I asked you to select a project that, yep. um, you know, you're, you're proud of, you're excited to share about a print project. And, and I want to hear about customers and, and quoting processes, how papers and color decisions were made. Um, specialty finishing and why, if you did any of that stuff, I, I want to deep dive into this stuff. So what did you, what do you got? what did you pick? Yeah. So, um, about 10 years ago, I was fortunate enough to be, um, involved with a, a rebrand of Duke university's school of business, which is called Fuqua. Um, they like to say, how do you say that word? Few qualify. <laughs> um, and so, uh, we, we helped them kind of redo the brand. So the positioning and what does it mean to be a modern um, graduate school, MBA focused, um, that kind of thing. And so we really helped them get their head around what that is and, and differentiated them in the space, um, with some of that messaging, um, and then continue to work with them for a few years under, um, kind of a, a brand, you know, visual brand direction that went along with that. Mm -hmm. Um, so about in 2017, uh, who I'd been working with them off and on, uh, the, the, the school went through a really big, um, site redo for a number of reasons, uh, accessibility, that kind of stuff. Um, we rethought the visual branding, um, and then um, the website got built. And uh, they even really rethought it that a lot of the changing information, the information that is highly varying from year to year, course to course, mm -hmm. teacher names, that kind of stuff, was all going to be on the website. Um, yet that left their print collateral kind of hanging out there in the world. So, um, and as much as I want to be able to tell you like hard budgets, I do know we had enough money to put research on this. And so as a designer, um, one of the things I remember about the, when this project started is they're like, hey, we're really ready to redo our collateral system. I think one one approach would have been, um, okay, cool, let's go reskin it. And, and that's something that we had done during the rebrand process. Mm -hmm. We looked at their current formats, they all the program brochures, um, were, you know, program brochures would be things like daytime MBA versus executive MBA versus weekend MBA, those kinds of things. They've got a bunch of different programs. Those okay. were all standard formats. They were, uh, eight, everything was finished size eight and a half by 11, um, old school printed. I'm sure they had closets full of this stuff. Um, <laughs> they, uh, and then they would time out too, because they would change like the structure of a course. Mm -hmm. And so then they'd have to reprint that brochure or we'd have to update a table in it. And then it was like, let's redo it. Um, so not only was there, there was no, like literally you could spread them out on a table and there was no differentiation or hierarchy in them. So we asked the question, do you want us to reskin it or should we, can we really rethink 
And, and this, this is a school that is really about rethinking how an MBA should be today. So definitely brand wise, we were like, Hey, let's, let's come at it from this standpoint. So the first question when, when we got clarity that we don't have to reskin things and we could really rethink the system was like, we want to interview people and how they use this. And that's everybody from uh, recruiters who were probably the heaviest user of the collateral system. They go to events. Um, they're the ones putting the documents, that printed documents, into folders and mailing those to prospective students. Um, they actually have to be shipped to like big companies that hire graduate, you know, MBAs, uh -huh. uh, like like Ford and those kinds of places. So anyway, it had to be a fairly usable thing. Um, and so really, we started there. And uh, I I was fortunate enough to hire a, a researcher that I know here in Colorado. He conducted a bunch of phone interviewers with everybody from. Uh, marketing staff that is responsible for the upkeep of them, you know, as they edit and change and the storing of them and the grabbing of them to ship them mm -hmm. uh, to the people that use them, the recruiters. And we really spent a lot of time in there asking the questions of like, what do you wish this would do? And um, we got back a lot of feedback. Number one was like, um, the pieces were just too same, same. They all felt kind of heavy. Now, if, you, if, if, if you've ever been to like a recruiting, uh, event or anything like that you know 15 colleges in a room at a at a corporate event isn't an uncommon thing and these people <laughs> get on a, you know they get on a plane they've got a box full of okay cool i have to bring you know 100 of these brochures 100 of these two pagers um you know whatever it is they end up with this big huge heavy box that gets thrown under the plane they go to their event they never take those things back so we wanted to really just minimize that impact um, number one of how do we make this more portable for these guys? So we really thought about it from that standpoint. We really thought about them sitting on that recruiting table that if you came up there and there was this spray of print, like that hierarchically, there were some differences there that got mm -hmm. you to engage with it. Yep. And the really cool part was, is they were all designed that the recruiter could, would go, okay, so what are you interested in? Daytime MBA? You want to focus, you are, you're interested in um, doing some work in, uh, I don't know. Habitat for Humanity, okay. And, uh, oh, you want to know uh, some of the statistics about uh, last year's and, uh, students? Okay, cool. They could take three of those brochures and all they all fit into the main program brochure. So now you've got this, this very tangible little thing. Um, by the way, the, the, the smaller elements that fit into it, um, something like, uh, I think we called them interest cards. Those were conceived as um, half sheets. Not in the horizontal half sheets, but mm -hmm. you know, split down the middle, um, because we could maximize sheet form too. Definitely. And so, thinking about just the mechanics of how these would be printed, um, we knew that we could do full bleed and that kind of stuff because they were going to cut these down to size. Um, but we also developed the system to be like, hey, they they do a lot of on-demand printing with their um, print vendor. Um, we knew that we, and actually, it was really interesting in the feedback because I pulled it up this morning just to to kind of refresh myself with it. That one of the feet, the questions on it, and this is always the thing I say about people with brands is I do brand workshops with my clients and things like that. And so one of the first things I have to do is some kind of icebreaker stuff because people who are outside of the design or publishing uh, professions will often tell you, well, that I'm not a graphic expert or I'm not a brand expert or something. But I'm like, you're an experience expert. You, you know what you like and what you don't like. And one of the pieces of feedback in there is, is that the documents felt flimsy. So they were referencing actual, like, paperweight. So even though mm. we didn't go there and pick paper, 
we, I think there's a, and back to the, uh, the, the idea I mentioned earlier, print has this ability to communicate legitimacy, mm -hmm. right? Like, like you said, it's, it sits on the, it can sit on your coffee table for years. Um, not that my brochures are going to do that, but, um, the idea is, is that, Hey, this feels like investment. Like I want to, to go here, whatever you can do to create that experience. So we did spec weights. I don't think we did anything under like an 80 pound cover. And here's um, the other interesting thing about weights is weights of paper immediately establish a perceived value on something. Mm. So something like Duke university, I don't know exactly, but I'm, I think it's safe to assume it's not going to be an inexpensive school to attend. No. <laughs> so if you're handing over a 24 pound bond white sheet that looks like it was printed on a home printer with course information, that gives one perception. When you're handing over something that's been printed to size professionally on like an 80 pound cover, that's a completely different perception. Yeah. It, it, and it, that's, it's tangible value. But what, what I was kind of like pleased with in this like feedback that I wouldn't probably have gotten this information was that's what people were asking for. They were like, they wanted it to feel like quality. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was some of their big problems with some of the, the, the earlier format of the system. So um, we moved to also um, for not only thinking about form factors and what's it printed on. Those were all really critical things. And we even presented the work back at um, a system level way before we showed them look and feel and that kind of thing. We're like, OK, the foundation, you have these options. And I think we ended up in a little bit of a hybrid um, kind of situation. But I'm never particularly upset you know I, I very rarely give clients an a b kind of thing mm -hmm. I, I i think they often know far more about their business than i could ever and really when it comes down to a usage thing i want them to be happy and support it so um, we ended up in a really good spot on knowing what our foundation was so that when we did hire writers or we really started to think about what's the volume of content in these things um, they could be very articulate in it and it really helped us on the design side of things that when we presented things back, should we want, you know, should we know that a page has to have like a certain level of, of density? Um, they, they kept coming back with this term snackable bites and they wanted it to be less about prose and much more about scan. And that, and it was almost like we took some tried and true web practices and put it back into print. Yet it still had that beauty of like, I'm leaping through this. I can make a mark on this page. I could highlight this thing. Um, and so from that, it was a, it was a really rewarding um, project. And then once we did start to get into the visual design, um, it was really about just making this thing feel very human, too. And I think that allowed us to even pick like the finish on the paper. Like I'm not talking we were like, yeah, go out and get the smoothest sheet you guys can. I wanted a little bit of tooth to it because mm -hmm. I wanted to have authenticity and, and, and texture. Yeah. Um, and it did feel, and I think that even does something to the color once you put color into that paper, right? And Duke is widely known for this blue that they use. Um, and so we had to manage that um, a little bit, but it wasn't like, oh my God, it's dramatically off. Um, I think it really helped them um, map the, the web experience to their print experience because they're, you know, inevitably... They're pushing people to one thing or another. Somebody went and looked at their website and said, I'm going to go talk to those guys at that recruiting thing tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Or they got the recruiting material and then they went back to the website. And, and if there isn't continuity between those two things, um, you know, we, uh, we're doing something wrong. I think the other cool thing, too, is, is um, 
they're not web professionals. So a lot of the art that we created actually for these print objects ended up as reusable elements that they could actually just upload to the website, like tables and graphs. Our tables and graphs just look better in print than if you built it out of like, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, WordPress plugin or something mm-hmm. like that. So a lot more control in that, in that respect. Totally. And that continuity and crossover between web and digital, like that's so important. And like you gave the example of either the web led them to the physical, the booth where they picked up the printed materials or the printed materials led them to the web. Right. But print played a portion in that. Nobody, nobody wanted to exist just on the web. Give me something tangible. It's more trustworthy. It, it establishes more of a, a, a mental connection than just looking at something on your phone screen would. Yep. Well, and, and the interesting thing, too, and, and where we ended up is, is there was a consciousness around which items we would be doing. And, and generally, if I had to have a, like a, a scale, um, the, the program brochures, I would say, get edited annually, maybe. Like mm-hmm. that's that the MBA that's like, hey, this is about this school. But we have documents that get changed quarterly. So they do less print runs on those. Um, but the idea is, is that those things still exist in physicality or can be made physical. Obviously, all these things can get shared as a PDF, which mm-hmm. I think is the unfortunate side of it. But thankful they're getting double usage um, out of it. But the interesting thing now, once we've once we constructed this footprint, let's call it the system footprint, um, our interactions with them as the school continues to evolve, particularly in a, you know, this, these times that we're in right now is yeah. I think one of the things that we're going to see from education is, is like, how are they going to adapt programming to meet an inability to be on campus all the time or something like that? So Duke or Fuqua has made some real, um, they were very pioneering in the space of, I would call it, I don't want to say commercial, um, you know, school, but like they really can adapt programs and meet a, a need. Like, um, during one of the economic downturns they were having, um, they saw this need to help, give students almost like an MBA light so that they could kind of differentiate their Mm -hmm. diploma that a lot of those students were hitting with. So we were able to really quickly put that program into our footprint because we weren't making decisions around, Hmm. So what's the, what's the, what's the form factor for the program brochure? And then, okay, cool. Any ancillary documents that are going to go along with this, like these special interest half pages I was mentioning, um, we, we've done a series of, uh, ROI, um, I'll call them program ROI books for them as well that really are just like very visual ways to see what like salary rates are and that kind of stuff because you know you invest as much as you do to go to MBA you want to know what salary you're going to be kind of in the neighborhood of where mm-hmm. depending on where you live and what industry you go into um, and that's all highly fluctuating um, information but we built those even in a way where we implemented um, you know some tools within the print world um, and it's escaping me now because I, I just remembered talking about, but we actually found a font that does a uh, chart. Well, so we use a, we, we do these, I call them beautiful, very simple, almost like Tuftian kind of charts within a lot of these documents, okay. but they're all powered through a font called Chartwell. So the updating of them is much less an art project and it's much more an input project. Um, so even the efficiency that we built into that, I, coming back to that notion of, I try and shield myself from the inability to make mistakes because I know I will make them. 
um, that kind of implementation, even the way that we sussed out, hey, we know we are going to be making lots of changes to these charts over time. Let's make that easy for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and generally, my, my outfit does it um, too. But it is user serviceable should they want to do it. Um, That's awesome. I, so, so I think knowing that as a designer, though, that you have those kind of tools coming back to like asking a, you know, a, print, a print person about like, hey, what, how would I do this effect? Um, I think it's just, again, knowing your tool sets. Yes, exactly. You took the words right out of my mouth there, is understanding that. And not even from the level of, you know, beyond what can I do with this print piece within the technology and the equipment that my printer has and that sort of thing. How can I pull this off? But also as, as a designer looking to offer solutions to a customer, design solutions, creative solutions, if you don't know and have an understanding of all of the mediums where you could possibly provide this solution, maybe that solution isn't quite what it could be. Exactly. No, and I think I think that's the, and maybe this is the new frontier of, of print as well, is I, I'm sure you're seeing this, but I assume out there, like I, I think to my early software days, and I think Dan even mentioned this when he was at the, the shoe company, um, but I remember runs of, like, let's say I did 24 product sheets, hmm. five to 10,000 of each. Yeah. You know, and, and it was a global company, too. But, like, I think that, that maybe the new frontier of print is a little bit shorter run, still high-quality printing, but things get edited and then reprinted as, you know, as the old stock goes out. There's this ability to kind of turn it over. And to me, that's the beauty of design. We should be providing a solution for communication, not like creating a, a, an untouchable piece of artwork that you can't go back into ever and, and edit, you know? Yeah, there's a couple of ways that, that I've personally seen that play out. One way is that, you know, that information that's evolving and changing, sometimes monthly, quarterly, whatever it is, that information isn't being printed. That lives online. That lives in PDF. But what is being printed is the beautiful brand book, the beautiful company feeling piece, the beautiful lookbook, something that is going to drive that customer to that more up-to-date information that is more of like a timeless bespoke print piece, um, you know, where you're spending more money per unit, you're not producing as many units, and all of that data, course information, credit stuff, like whatever that is. Um, you know, is updated and lives online where it's easily changeable. No, and I, I think that's that's dead on. And it's funny that you mention brand books because that is a thing that we've done quite a bit of very recently. And I think that's, to me, if you were to like, hey, what's your most, what's the most exciting part of design for you? I actually think designing for the people within companies for some reason or another is very interesting to me um, even kind of more so than designing for like, you know, general consumers. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because sometimes you can, you can, you have the ability to go in and actually see the, uh, the impact you're making, like using Fuqua as an example. I remember we started helping them, uh, brand one of the, or really do a little bit of more, I think individualized branding around one of the programs because it was aimed at a little bit of a younger audience. Mm-hmm. And we actually got to go in and talk to students during a photo shoot. And it was really interesting to hear about the impact of the brand as the way they saw it and what it meant to them. It was just really rewarding as a designer to go, oh, my God, it's making a difference. Like, 
you guys were actually reading this and paying attention. Whereas I think in, you know, as you head up market into much bigger audiences and things like that, the tendency is, is that that stuff gets either kind of overlooked or, or something like that. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Okay. This is, I, I love how when in your deep dive here, you've really talked about like, let's not explore like proofing and paper and embossing and specialty finishing. Like what is this system? What is the most practical printed solution for this customer and the problems they're experiencing. And I love how you, you really dove into that research and, and sort of talked about it from that direction as well. From, so from like the idea of this project and <clears throat> Duke University approaching you to delivery of finished product, hopefully you received samples of them. <laughs> what sort of timeline are we talking? Um, I think to the, well, and it, that, this project is still ongoing. Uh, so I work on this stuff on a fairly regular basis, and this started in 2017. I think from within the research and the first creation of, and we didn't even start on their flagship project, but I would say the first, like, let's say we had a good representation of the footprint of the system with real content in it that could be shared with the public was probably somewhere between two to three months. It was, I don't know if that seems fast, that seems about normal to mm-hmm. me, um, but I know that, you know, I have a tendency to get clients that just don't have a lot of time. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. um, that was one of those ones that I, I bet we spent two or three weeks just in the, the interview cycle alone. Then we brought back our findings. So there you lose them. Yeah, I bet about two to three months. And then, um, you know, just knowing even the way that I usually present creative on something like this is I never just do one thing and say, here's where we're headed. Um, you kind of do glimpses. So my standard take on a, particularly for a multi-page thing, whether it's a catalog, um, and I think a product, a, a, a program brochure, like for a school is not unlike a catalog, you know, it's got all the same components, mm-hmm. story, uh, information, that kind of stuff. I think on those, I actually usually will do a dive into, and, and I think I have a tendency to think about design in high in modularity. I think I work with a lot of clients who have, just have to make changes quite a bit. And so I usually will present something like, hey, here's what a cover page could look like. Here's what an introduction might look like. Here's what a, a really dense like infographic page might look like. So I might show them three or four page types within the in, in the document to help us get on the road. But then I would show, hey, here's what it looks like in you know a, a more, uh, let's call it a program format where it has a magazine-esque vibe. But as we moved in lower into that strata of Okay, now you're getting to these these pieces that I mentioned earlier, the half sheets. Those are really highly changeable information. That's just information, and but it still needs to hold brand components. So that has to have a visual in it, like you know, an image of the campus or people in that program. Mm-hmm. Um, it needs to have some sort of color cue so that you know what program it belongs to. Um, but I like to show them those things in suite because I think it's very hard for people to make decisions on you know, one thing. And, and sometimes you can take one thing pretty far down the road and then people realize it's not right. So I tend to work with a little bit of a wider net at the beginning and multiple choices and involve discussion. And then we migrate to a much more focal path. Um, and that's how this, this project really worked out. You know, it wasn't, I'm the world's best designer. Here you guys go. We're doing this. Um, it was you know very collaborative because I, I think the fascinating part about their marketing department there is, is they do not think like traditional educators. They think much bigger, much more like a consumer uh, marketing team would in, in a way um, where it's less about, um, 
uh, we always call it speeds and feeds, meaning like it's just like little, like a lot of detail that is really only relevant to people in those four walls. Um, they have the consciousness to step back from it and go like, let's let's just really communicate what's great about us. So much more uh, benefit driven than feature kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. I love that angle and, and that sort of larger picture view at it. It's not just, I need a brochure. Okay, here's your brochure. Right. Yeah. 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 That's been, it, I, I don't know. I had someone tell me recently that, um, not that it's strange how I work, um, but I do, I, I, I have a few uh, friends that run agencies here that, that are, they're much more focal in the way they present work. That's mm-hmm. kind of like, we've done all of our research and blah, blah, blah. I, I think I'm much more of a catalyst kind of approach. Um, in, in my work, I want to show people stuff. I want to see some reaction. I want them to participate in it. Um, cause just like involving like a printer who's really smart, um, you know, or a production person and production people are highly undervalued because if I had them in that initial business card phase, I wouldn't have been in that bad position cause they would have caught my error. And, uh, I think like just letting people participate in your work really does have a chance to, to make it a lot better. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, I'm curious, Jay, on your answer on this next question, because you're coming from that instructor teacher side as well. Um, what advice would you give a designer who is new to print or wants to get started in print design? I would ask why. No, um, (laughs) (laughs) I think I would, uh, I would really just say, learn the basics. Just learn why print works. Like, cause I, I, and, and, and I guess if I had to simplify that even further, it'd be think mechanically. Because really what you're talking about is, is like for all the pixels you're moving around on your screen, at the, at the end of this, that is going to be physical. Um, and so like uh, I use this example a lot and I feel like I've said this before, but um, very often I will have a designer show me a logo and I would say, okay, cool. How would you build that logo physically? Like if it was in an, a lobby or something like that, uh, how could you cut it out? And, and I, I've actually had identity projects win on the fact that they could be made meaning like machined or something right um and so uh, i think if i come back to print i would say learn to learn the basics think mechanically like learn that like why is this effect going to do this like like when you tell the word multiply to people like they just think that's a setting in photoshop no dude that's the way ink behaves on paper Mm -hmm. you know it's it it has it, it it is not it's so you know it's you can see through it. So, um, and that's a really cool effect, but if you don't know why that does that, um, you know, and, and, uh, I, like I said, I, I can't say this enough, but find people with experience, like ask them, you know, to, uh, to show you how to do things. Like I was really fortunate, particularly when I was on the corporate side of things and doing a lot of print packaging and a lot of collateral stuff for, um, a big software company in the Bay area. I was really fortunate to meet, and, and if I had to, I really kind of actually want to uh, direct a show about the printing floor at some point, because I think it would be very Office-like, you know, the TV show, The Office? Totally, yes. And, and, and there, because it's, like I said, it's a trade. People know what the heck they're doing. They have this, like, this lovely gruffness about them, usually. And, and my print rep was a guy named Pete Strassman, who grew up in a printing family. His father owned a printing company in San Francisco. He went on to be a print rep. Um, I think he only retired a few years ago, but the guy would just like, he just knew designers just showed up with like wild hair ideas. We didn't know what the F we were doing. And like, I, 
he was just the funniest guy ever because if you asked him how he was doing for the day, and I think this sums it up, if you say, how are you doing today? He would be like, hmm, fair. Like that would be a typical <laughs> answer. Uh, and, and then he got on me one day about having too many pairs of shoes or something because every time I'd go to the pre a press check, I'd have a different pair of shoes on. Like, you know, colored sneakers, right? Yeah. And uh, it, he, he said, what's up with all these shoes? He's like, I got brown and black. Like, like he was just a very practical guy. And I think I, I really loved him for that because I knew when my projects came with all of their mistakes in production, if my file was set up just a little bit different, um, really being conscious about like the mechanics of it. Why mm -hmm. is your file built this way? And I actually think that's something that drives the way that I work today. Even if I'm doing a concept for somebody, I still come at it from the fact of like, Ooh, somebody else might have to handle this file. So how can I make this clear? Like my images are in this thing. My fonts are in this folder. You know what I mean? Like you built a directory and yeah. you knew that that thing was a very shuttleable piece. I would not have known that had I not worked with a guy like Pete um, because he was on me about it. And it was a lot. And I grew up in the military, so I was used to being yelled at um, <laughs> and, or, or treated harshly. And I kind of liked it. So it was it was a match made in heaven. But really, I. I think that he made mo well every print project I did with him he made it was his the success of it was really because of him and his team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's so true like the value of the the print shop and the team that you work with like it's so so important can't emphasize that enough. Um Jay you've reached the point of the show for the last question here and this time I'm switching it up I'm going with the ask the audience question. So a group of young designers who are interested in print. Some of them have dabbled in it. Some of them want to get started with it. What do you want to ask them? So I thought about this question, and, and I might ask two, if that's not too, too Ooh, crazy for you. on the edge. So uh, the first one is, uh, if there was one designer alive or dead you could sit down with and have coffee with, who mm -hmm. would it be? I like that um, That's number one. And... Um, I thought about that long and hard because I'm like, if I was a young designer, and maybe this comes back to asking advice, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think in my career, I think actually young designers live in a fascinating time because if they follow a designer on Instagram or see someone's work that they really admire, they literally can reach out to that person and there's a high likelihood that they can connect with them and have a discussion. 100%. Um, as I got out of design school, I was looking at, you know, design books and I was like, you know, crushing on designers that were from the 40s and 50s, namely a guy named Lester Beale, um, who was in upstate New York, weirdly enough, in my weird ranch life. And, the you know, you've seen my office. Um, he worked out of a barn, which I thought was fascinating. Um, and I loved his work. And anyway, that's who I would pick. But this morning, as I was thinking about this and thinking about my ability to screw up yet recover from it so i started thinking like is is that my design superpower is to like cover up my mistakes and survive <laughs> um but i would also ask is is have you thought about what's your design superpower um because i think all designers have them and sometimes it takes a really long time for us to figure out what that is so what i ask is um that's my second question is what is your design superpower and if you haven't, if they haven't thought about that, they should, because like it might help them in times of need. I love it. 
Jake, you've made it to the end of the Print Design Podcast, man. It was such an awesome experience connecting with you again and hearing more about your career and the mistakes you've made and some of these projects that you've you've sort of dissected these print projects and and how you arrived at these solutions. I love it. Well, I appreciate your time. And again, I'm so thankful. As a guy who used to do a design talk show here in, in Colorado, I, I really thank you for doing what you do because I think you're doing something that's fantastic and bringing our community, you know, community together, number one, but you're also passing on a lot of knowledge, man. So like good on you. And thank you very much for that. I appreciate that. Thanks. I just, I love these conversations and I thought, you know, why not let other people be a fly on the wall during them, right? Totally. That's a, that's a great, great sharing on your part. All right, all right, all right. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to today's episode of the Print Design Podcast. If you are digging what you're hearing, head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever magical place you are listening to this. Leave me a rating and a review. Helps me get better, helps other people find the show, and it's just good old, you know, just sharing the good stuff all around. You know, just if you don't like it, that's okay. Share the bad stuff. Tell me how I can do better. I'm always listening. But, you know, it's pretty fun, right? It's pretty fun. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye.